morning. Good morning. Welcome to this, gosh, already third Sunday of Easter. It was such a treat last week to have Dr. Porter here preaching, to have him back sharing his gifts after serving here for 20 years. And wow, he still has it. Really fun. So as we look ahead to live worship, we have some good news. You will no longer have to register starting today. So come back, uh, bring your friends. I think we have plenty of room. We'll continue to wear our masks just a bit longer as we emerge from this COVID cloud. So thank you for your patience in all of that. So we are excited that our new youth and family ministry director is coming to visit. Connor Peters is starting full-time with us on June 7th, but he'll be here next weekend, and the family team has planned a gathering for parents on Friday, June 23rd, a beach day for students on Saturday the 24th, and we'll all have an opportunity to meet him next Sunday on the 25th. Details for all those events are on our website, of course. Connor, his new bride, Megan, and their dog, Kay, are looking for a place to live for June, July, and August while they look for a home to buy. So if you or someone you know happens to have a house for um, to be watched or to be rented just for that short period of time, it would be a great help, of course, and just contact Sarah Soboleski if you know of anything like that. While Connor is here, we're going to dedicate the outdoor worship space behind the Palm Center. So that is going to be at 6.15 tomorrow, next Sunday night. Um, we'd love for you to join Pastor Steve and the rest of us as we get to dedicate that really sacred space for us. Um, yesterday, we got to celebrate Alexander Vefeus getting his Eagle Scout Award, and it was just great to see these, you know, he was like this, and now he's, you know, like this, and doing so many great things. As we try to care for our body, mind, and spirit, I would like to lift up just a couple of opportunities for us. Uh, trivia night is Wednesday, April 28th at 6 o'clock in the Palm Center, so you could gather some friends and neighbors. It's a really fun way to try to re-engage our brain, little friendly competition, and to laugh. And if you would just let Susan Neisler know the day before by April 27th, um, RSVP, so she could make arrangements. We would like to invite you to order and to begin reading our next book, How to Fight Racism by Jamar Tisby. Um, we're going to have that conversation with the congregation on Monday, May 10th at 6 o'clock. Of course, it's via Zoom, so you can sign up for that link on our website. Tai Chi has begun, and quite a few people have started already to reduce their stress and anxiety as they work to increase their flexibility and their balance. And you too can join in for Tai Chi on Wednesdays, 2.30 to 3.30 in the Palm Center, and it is only $5. Well, we have two new members to um, let you see that have belonged to our church, that have just joined our church family. Al McCaddy and Joanne Stout, and we are delighted that they have joined us. And if you would like information on how you too could become a member, we um, would just ask you to reach out to Mingy Brown. And now it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you my friend and former social, social, what were you? My session liaison as I was going through ordination, Marlene Petro. Um, Marlene is 
thankfully agreed to head up Day of Hope for us for another year. And we are so grateful that you are here and that we get to, and now you know the life I live with cords <laughs> and a little yes, come on over. Okay. We're glad that you're here. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thanks to everybody for having me this morning. It's great to see faces instead of looking at a camera and speaking into that. <clears throat> As Steve noted a couple of weeks ago in his sermon, Day of Hope was born when Pam Hahn observed that there were way too many children in beautiful Sarasota who were going to school with holes in their shoes, no supplies, and no food in their tummies, and that this was unacceptable. Ten years ago, this church heard her voice. In fact, it was the people in this contemporary service who heard that voice and committed to hosting Day of Hope for, to help needy children in our neighborhood prepare for the start of school. <clears throat> As Lori said, I'm Marlene Petro, and I'm privileged to be overseeing um, the project again this year, along with Marsha Barson, who's chairing volunteers, and an incredible leadership team. The Day of Hope mission has been a godsend in helping some of the neatest, neediest families in our community prepare their children for school. We give backpacks filled with school supplies, gift cards that provide for their school uniform and new shoes, personal care items, and food that is in short supply in so many homes. And during normal times, we do doctor and dental exams, vision and hearing tests, haircuts, nails, storytelling, photos, and other fun events. But alas, these are not normal times. So we will be doing a drive-through event again this year in order to keep everyone safe while still providing this, the necessities for the kids. I'm here to ask for your support of the 250 children we have committed to help prepare for school. It costs $100 per child to purchase everything. The backpacks, the school supplies, the gift cards, the personal care products, an incredible value because we buy in bulk with the other Day of Hope churches. And all the food that we give is donated by All Faiths and Detweilers. But we need to raise $25,000 as the project is not included in the church budget. Day of Hope is a self-sustaining church mission. And Day of Hope isn't really just that one day here on our campus in July. Because of the generosity of our congregation, we've been able to help the two, two schools during the school year as well. Restocking school supplies, clothing, and providing other needs. This year, we provided funding for bags for 200 children at Wilkinson and Philippi. The guidance counselors filled these bags with a new sweatshirt, a new pair of shoes, socks, a water bottle, a book, and a gift card to Detweilers. I received this note from the mother of one of the little girls who received a bag. She writes, I'm not sure how you did it, but every single item included was actually something she was in need of. 
She was so thrilled and has been absolutely loving every single item. I could tell it really made her feel special to receive it as well. The grocery gift card was especially appreciated by her parents. My husband and I both lost our jobs in the middle of quarantine, and things were a bit scary there for us. Fortunately, we are both happily employed now, but I can't say enough how much of a comfort it was to have community support during that time and as we've worked to adjust to our new normal. The gift feels like a blessing, and I will absolutely be finding a way to pay it forward. Many who have never needed help before do now. Nearly 50% of the school-aged children in Sarasota County are on free and reduced school lunch programs. Many in our community may need to choose between paying rent, the electric bill, buying groceries, or buying school supplies. We can help, and the need is great. Check out this morning's bulletin for all the ways that you can help, or the e-blast that will come in your mail each day. I thank you in advance because I know that this is a community who loves God and loves neighbor. Thank you. Thank you, Marlene, for your gifts and your leadership for this important mission of ours. From the very beginning of creation, God has given us the earth, the land, the sea, and all of the creatures to care for. Earth Day gives us a nice opportunity that we can reflect on and celebrate all of nature, including our beautiful campus. Matt Liddell put together a video for us on our iconic fellowship tree, all in the spirit of caring for and reflecting God's creation. We hope you enjoy it. I actually went to kindergarten here at Church of the Palms, and I looked back in a photo album, and that was in 1962. And so I was looking at the sign for the tree, and it says it was probably sprouted around 1810. So when I got to Church of the Palms, it was already 150 years old. The tree, it was actually in the back of the church, and it was not the honored tree that it is today. It was just in the backyard as a tree. And we had a tire swing that hung from the tree. And you can imagine not much grass in Florida grows under an oak tree. So it was sandy and dirty and we would just get filthy playing there when we, when we went to school. I was brought to meet this tree for the first time last year, so that was my first initial evaluation of her. Um, yes, I say her because of her curves. This is a Quercus virginiana, which is a live oak, well known in Florida. They're magnificent trees. Their canopy span can go out at least 180 feet wide in span. Heights exceed over 50 feet. They're more of a decurrent growth tree, so more of a canopy tree, if you will, as their species profile. We estimate the tree to be at least 1810 from when it was planted. 
So without completely dissecting the tree, which obviously nobody wants to do, um, you know, we could look at resistograph or tomography to internally detect uh, the internal of the tree. As humans, we don't like a lot of stress, um, and neither does trees. Um, pruning can be a stress, so we want to make sure that we're not pruning too much during one pruning cycle. As a tree gets older, we want to refrain from doing that on an annual basis. And maybe that basis, depending on uh, where that tree is at in its current health, may be every five plus years. The draw would be God's beauty, right? I mean, He's created these magnificent trees for us to enjoy and we can't buy back the time how long it took to get this tree to where it is now. It's not just a tree and it's not just a growing living thing. Uh, this is, it's part of our memorial garden. The fact that we consciously built all of our church buildings around it, so it is the focal point. And I guess that's sort of a chicken and the egg thing. Did, the, did honoring the tree come first or did we build our buildings and realize, hey, this is a great looking tree. I, I don't know which one came first. It is such a grand looking tree. All right, please stand. Put your hands together.
you can have a seat. Uh, we are at that point in our worship where we get to, uh, to worship God with our offering and our tithes. And of course, we can give lots of different ways. But while we're here in person, we can also give in the baskets on each of the tables as we leave. So I'd like to invite the mic runners to come up on either side of me here. I have a couple of college girls home, so I'll let you um, meet them in just a moment. Just want to remind you that if you are not inclined to lift your hand to say your prayer aloud, um, that there's still um, a little stand in the back where you could write your prayer down, and we will be praying for you during the week. Um, so, would you introduce yourself, friend? Hello, I'm Allison. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Hi, I'm Allison Down. Um, I'm a freshman at the University of Central Florida. Nice, Allison. My name is Kayla, and I go to Santa Fe College in Gainesville. Nice. So great to see both of you again. So, of course, they will make their way out to you, and they will hand you the microphone. They'll take a step back, and they'll wipe it off with their cloth just so we don't continue to spread our, you know, what we can spread. So how can we be praying for each other on this day? I think we should all be praying for the families of the people who are killed in Indianapolis. Thank you. So tragic. Yeah. Uh, right? No one could imagine going to work and then, and from like age 19 to like 71 or two or something, just horrific. It makes me think about um, mental illness. It makes me think about the loneliness that people must feel, that they, that is how they end up expressing it. So there's so many issues, but thanks, Marion, for lifting that up. Anything else to share today, either a joy or a concern? It's good to have these students back. It's like a bunch of little cats around there. Lots of, vent, lots of energy, which is great. Yeah, Steve. Uh, continue to pray for Holly, uh, a young mother of five who is uh, working through issues of cancer and uh, is going for a second opinion this week. So keep her and her family of seven all together in your prayers. Thank you. And I think we had learned that Holly had already had a leg amputated and it's been um, quite a challenge for her. But as we remember Holly this week, can we think of other people that we know and love who are suffering from cancer and from other illnesses that um, are really hard to deal with? And then even wondering how God might use us as people have sent care packages to um, people in the past. So we are uh, wondering how the Holy Spirit might be moving us as well. Anything else? Yeah. Kayla, you're getting all the jobs today. Welcome home. <laughs> uh, this is my first time here, but um, the thought comes to mind as we have hope for coming out of the pandemic that, um, that we experience community in new and life-giving ways, oh, yes. um, given all that's happened over the last year. And what's your name? I'm Paul. Paul, welcome. We're glad that you're here. And gosh, aren't we like all sort of doing that evaluation? We know what was lost during pandemic. And it's like, what do you want to hang on to that maybe you discovered a new thing? But the need for community is 
so huge and how can we step into that space um, bravely and and with open hearts uh, oh do you guys have one it seems like you do no okay <laughs> but you have this yeah. you do have that what is that um, let's hear i don't i don't well don't put it that close i won't go into the full story but uh i jumped over a fence and my hand slipped <laughs> And then I fell on my left side and broke my wrist. And it is broken. Yeah, but it's like the tiniest bone in there, so it doesn't even matter. It does hardly at all. Hardly. Yeah, yeah, Thank, yeah. You. Thank you, Blake. Good to know. Great. Hardly at all. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Well, um, this week, as we have opportunities to pray at home, um, we'll be mindful of the people specifically that we have named today. And if you forget, you can always go watch it again on our website. Um, but during this time, um, as we give those prayers up to God, um, we are going to do a prayer of confession together, and it's going to be on the screen. I think this is such an important practice for us to confess to God corporately. I wrote this one, but the pieces of it that might be true for you, and then other things that you may want to confess to God so that we can hear those words of assurance and forgiveness. So we're just going to take a moment so you can confess silently, and then I'm going to start us, and I want you to join in, and we will say it together. So let's take a moment in silence to God to confess our sin. Although I certainly need more time than that, let us pray together. Holy One, creator of all that is, help us to be mindful of the earth and all its resources. Help us to remember the love you have for creation and for each and every person. Forgive us, Lord, when we neglect the earth or any of your creatures. Give us strength to repair the damage we and previous generations of humanity have caused. As we repent, make us true stewards of your creation, treating the earth and your children with gentleness and great care. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I just want to remind you that the mercy of our Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Friends, believe the good news in the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. Good morning. It's good to see some more familiar faces are arriving out of the COVID caves that we've been in. And uh, it's good to see some new faces as well. So it's great to be, as was mentioned, uh, restoring community in the midst of our time of being apart. If you're new here, you may not know that we have been uh, preaching through the fruit of the Spirit uh, from the beginnings of the year in September uh, all the way and in, including next month. And we're taking a fruit of the Spirit for each month. And today we are in the midst of April and the fruit of the Spirit for the month of April is the fruit of gentleness. And so today we're going to look at a story in the Gospel of Mark in which Jesus displays this gentle touch of healing 
followed by a story in the Acts of the Apostles in which a Jesus follower displays a similar gentle touch of healing to a person who ends up bringing the healing, reconciling message of the gospel to the world and in a very real sense changes the course of history. So let's begin uh, by looking at Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. Hear the word of God. Jesus and the disciples came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village, and when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him away to his home, saying, do not even go into the village. Now there was a disciple, and this is Acts chapter 9, now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he answered, here I am, Lord, and the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, and at this moment he's praying, and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, he, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is an instrument whom I've chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house and laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. And then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O oh God, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. If you live long enough, it gets harder to see things up close. Most of you know what I'm talking about. If you live long enough, you start holding the paper further and further away. If you live long enough, your arms are not long enough for you to be able to see what you want to see. There is a name for this, and it's called, and it hits a little close to home, it's called presbyopia. Think of that, Presbyterians have an eye condition named after them. Presbyopia, from the Greek which means old man's eye or elder's eye. Presby from the Greek word presbyteros, meaning elder or old person. Presbyterians are governed by elders. That's our governance structure. So that's how we got our name, presby, elder, elder-led church. Well, it turns out the more presby you get, the harder it is to see things up close. Is it possible that the case can be made that presbyopia is not just a physical optical condition, but also a spiritual optical condition? 
Is it possible that as the world goes on and on, that it gets harder for us to see things up close? And what I mean by this is that the way that technology and information systems have developed over the past decades, we have grown more and more able to see things further and further away. Turn on the TV, open your favorite social media app, and someplace halfway around the world is immediately brought right into your smartphone, your computer, your TV in the living room. Sitting there in your PJs, like you've grown used to sitting on Sunday mornings, you click a link, and you are linked to a million miles away. And in a moment, I could ask you, for example, I won't ask you to do this, but I could ask you to do this, to open up your smartphones and tell me what's going on in Myanmar, the home of our dear sister, Mingi, Dr. Brown. And within seconds, you would Google, and up would come something from Myanmar, some little six-paragraph article that tells something about Myanmar from a million miles away. And we would learn about the constitutional crisis in Myanmar. We would learn about the military coup in Myanmar a million miles away. And with that distant view, we might even form an opinion about that crisis a million miles away. But, but that would be different, of course, than seeing Myanmar up close. If you wanted to see Myanmar up close, you might talk to Mingi or call members of Mingi's family who live in Myanmar. Myanmar and talk to them about what they're experiencing right now on the ground and how they fear for their country and fear for their friends and fear for themselves, then you get a whole different view than what you read in the paper or watch on TV. And if you really, really wanted to get up close, you might find a way to go over to Myanmar and be with the people and understand them, live with them, live in the country and the culture. But that's not practical, of course. So we depend on, and what often informs our views about most things, is this view we have from far, far away. Seldom do we give ourselves the chance, seldom can we give ourselves the chance to see things up close. Most of our time is spent attempting to see things from far, far away. And I suppose we might all agree that the view from far away, albeit a wonder of technology, is not nearly as good as the view from close at hand. Same could be said, I suppose, when you and I look at what we might call the issues of the day, turn on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, open up the Herald Tribune, and you will be introduced to a plethora of issues, homelessness and climate change and vaccinations and voting rights and hunger and racism and criminal justice and equal rights, you name it, and in one or two minutes we get that view from far away. And we will see through the lens of whoever is bringing us that news, the view from far, far away. And because we are seeing issues, we also might even begin to see people. Because, of course, behind every issue is people. If there weren't people, there wouldn't be issues, right? Before people populated the earth, there weren't issues. The earth just was. The oceans just were. The mountains had nothing to say. But with people come issues, and with issues there are people. And so when we read and watch issues from far away, we, we see people from far away, and sometimes we even think we see them clearly, but of course we can't, because you can't see that well from far, far away. Which leads me to the story we read from Mark's Gospel about Jesus and the blind man. This is a one and only story in the Gospels, not repeated in Matthew, Luke, or John. And it's an unusual story because it describes an unusual healing. Jesus comes into the town of Bethsaida, and the townsfolk bring to him a blind man, and they beg Jesus to touch him. 
And this is the first thing of note. The blind man has a group of supporters. He's, he's not on his own. He has people advocating for him. We all need someone to advocate for us, right? This man who cannot see people has people who see him. Healing starts, doesn't it, so often when people see you. So something unusual happens. Instead of Jesus healing the man within the sight of all, Jesus takes the man outside of town so that it's just the two of them, away from the crowd. He makes the healing just about him and this man. Because sometimes that's what healing needs to be, just between you and Jesus. Jesus pulls him into this intimate moment, spits some saliva onto his fingers. Saliva back then was seen to be a healing agent. And then places his fingers on the man's eyes. And in a moment, the man can see. He can see. He can only, though, see so much. Can you see anything, Jesus asks. And the man says, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. He can see, but he can't see. He can see people, but he can't see people. He sees people, but they look like trees. Now, for a blind man, that may be enough. Sure beats nothing. Better to see people looking like trees than to see nothing at all. But for Jesus, it isn't enough. For Jesus, there, there's more to people than what this man can see. It's one thing to see people as trees. It's another thing to see people as people. So more saliva, a further touch, a closer look. And the man's sight is completely restored. I see people. I see people. Which makes me wonder if this isn't a healing story for the rest of us. We who can see from far away, but may have trouble seeing things up close. We can see people from far away, because, and because they're so far away, it's easier to see them less as people and as, than as something else, you know, blurs on the screen, stereotypes, categories, you know what I mean? I see people, but they look like Democrats. I see people, but they look like Republicans. I see people, but they look like socialists. I see people, but they look, you know, black or brown or Asian or white. I see people, but they look like Muslims. I see people, but they look gay or lesbian or trans. I see people, but they look like Ohio State fans. We're all wrestling with our own spiritual presbyopia. It's hard to see things up close. Here's the thing. We might be just as happy to keep it as it is. Better the fuzzier view. No need to get up close to see the person behind the caricature. Easier to make the him or the her into a them. No need for Jesus to touch these eyes a second time. But Jesus in his gentleness pulls us, if we allow him to, pulls us away from our own little in-crowd and from the news and from the Facebook scrolling and from the talking heads, pulls us away 
and takes us to a place where it's just him and you and me. And he helps us to see as he sees. Jesus wants us to see as he sees. To see people clearly. After my second year of seminary, a promised summer job fell through. And at the last minute, I was left scrambling for some badly needed summer employment. Long story short, I ended up reporting for work at a ministry in the red light district of Washington, D.C. called Emmaus Services for the Aging. It was led by a wonderful woman named Deanne Amison. And I had no idea what they did or how they did it, but it was a job. And I showed up for work ready to do what I was trained in seminary to do, programs, teaching, preaching, classes, whatever they need. It's a lot of what you learn in seminary. So I asked Deanne what she wanted me to start with. She said, you go find Ernest and you go take a walk. I said, okay. So I got Ernest's address, went to Ernest's house, said, Deanne wants me to take a walk with you. He said, come on. So we walked through this very, what we might say, sketchy neighborhood, a neighborhood like the ones I would see on TV when they talked about urban decay. And we would walk through this probably 10 square block neighborhood, and every 10 minutes or so, Ernest would stop and he would talk to somebody, somebody sitting on the stoop, somebody who is begging for money, a prostitute looking for a trick. Ernest would stop and talk to them. We did this the entire day. When we got back to the office, Ernest jotted down some notes, reported back to Deanne. Next day, I show up for work, asked Deanne what I was supposed to do on day number two. She said, take a walk. I said, what do you mean? She said, you know, what you did with Ernest yesterday, go do it by yourself. And while you're walking, go see these couple people. I said, well, what do you want me to do with them? She said, just listen. Listen to their story. Listen to what's happening, and then you'll figure it out from there. But what about the programs, the classes, the preaching? She said, just go walk. Just take a walk. And so that summer, I just walked and listened. And it took me a while, or should I say it took Jesus a while, for me to start seeing people. The voice of God came to that Damascus follower of Jesus, Ananias, to go visit the man named Saul of Tarsus. Ananias had already seen from far away who this Saul guy was. He had read about it in the paper, saw it on CNN. He was no good. He was against the church. He was one of those nutcase Pharisees. He was rounding up followers of the way. He was throwing Christians in jail. No thanks, Jesus. I'll watch him from a distance. The voice persists. It's your turn, Ananias, to heal the blind man. So Ananias goes against his better judgment and face to face, hand to head. The blind man with the blind heart prays for the blind man with the blind eyes. And both are healed. From this pulpit, you've heard the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer cast about in heroic terms as well it should be, one of the great martyrs of the faith who put his faith to work and his life at risk in opposing the Third Reich in Germany. But there came for Bonhoeffer a moment of which he was later ashamed. His brother-in-law, Gerhard, with whom he was very close, approached Dietrich with the request for Dietrich to perform 
the funeral for Gerhard's father. It was, however, understood that Gerhard's father was Jewish by blood. He was a professing Christian, had raised his children to be Christian, but nevertheless was Jewish by blood. Would Bonhoeffer bury this cherished member of his sister's family? Bonhoeffer declined. He couldn't bring himself to bury a Jew. I see people, but they look Jewish. Later, as Bonhoeffer's eyes were healed, the regret of the decision led him back to Gerhard with pleas for forgiveness. It was a slight for which Bonhoeffer never forgave himself. At a retreat I spoke at a few years ago, I sat at lunch with a Presbyterian elder, and as I did, as most pastors do, I asked him to tell me a little bit about his story and how he ended up being a Presbyterian elder. And for the next 20 minutes or so, he told me the story of how he had been raised in the church raised in a pretty conservative Bible-believing church, and as a result, had become pretty zealous about his faith, and pretty zealous also about the conservative views he had on the issues out there. But one night came the phone call from his 25-year-old son to tell him that he was gay, and now the issue for him had become a person, and the person now was his son. And his worlds collided and he didn't know what to do with this gay son. He didn't know what to do except what fathers are supposed to do. Love him. Listen to him. Support him. And join a church where his son would be welcomed. And end up leading a church where his son would be welcomed. He said in so many words, I saw people but all I could see was LGBTQ. And Jesus, gentle Jesus, took him aside and with a little saliva and a press of the fingers, helped him to see a person. You know, it's interesting when you read the Bible, you read precious little about issues. You read nothing about politics. You read nothing about the Senate vote up in Rome. Pretty much the only thing you read about is people, all sorts of people. And usually it's just one person at a time, at a time, at a time. Jesus says little about the issues and says a lot about the people, one person at a time. He gently pulls them and pulls us aside and says, can you see anything? And he's never quite happy until we can see not trees, but people. Let us pray. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts. We want to see you. And we want to see your people. Help us, O oh Lord, to get our presbyopia out of the way that we may begin to discover the beauty of the people you put in our lives and the beauty of people far away. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for giving us eyes and hearts to see. Allow us to put, in, be, put ourselves into the care of your Son and our Savior. He may help us to see as you see. He may help us to see people and love people like you love people. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen.